If you have a Bible, I'm going to ask that you would turn with it, turn in it, please, to Colossians, the first chapter. And uh, I have so loved, and I, I'm so privileged to lead a great team. But what I love about this team is the diversity, and the reality, and the authenticity of how guys have ministered this week. It hasn't been latest concepts and books that's been written, but it's out of a brokenness and the reality of life and ministry that we get to share these truths. There's no per- perfect person other than Jesus. There's no perfect minister other than Christ. And so we come with that, I believe that there is a humility and an authenticity that is attractive to God, to certainly to the Holy Spirit and to people, sinners and saints alike. Authenticity, reality, friends, that's what we want and that's what the world wants. And so I'm just grateful for how the guys have ministered. I, I, I want you to know, we don't tell people what they have to preach. I'm sure you know that. And also, they don't know who gets to preach. We kind of make the call as we go along. And, but I love that we do tell them there's one person we want to talk about, and that's Jesus. And no matter what your gift is, no matter what your, uh, where you, if Christ has to be the center of it all. And that's what I've loved, that right through, Christ hasn't just kind of found his way in it. We've been very intentional that this is all about Jesus. Even if the signs were back to front, you now will never forget the signs. We did that purposefully, even though Steve didn't know that, but now he knows. But no, no, we didn't do Well, I didn't know about it. I didn't even notice it because Jesus, I look up to Jesus, not out to a sign. But anyway, but the point in it all is, is friends, honestly, it's not like let's get through the Jesus thing. And I know you've heard it, but I've loved it. I'm challenging you who lead and preach. If you're serious about the things of God, if you, if you want what you're involved in to truly stay, even when you go, if you are building for eternity, then you've got to build around the one who is eternal. And in God's economy, it is transition and handover. God doesn't put one person to lead the church forever. There comes a time, either your season comes to an end, or you die and go and be with the Father, or circumstances change. And there comes a time where every church that's been led will transition to someone else in the economy of God. And sometimes it'll go really well, and other times it'll go really bad. But I can guarantee this, you've got more chance of it going well if it's centered and based and focused around the unchanging one when everything else is changing. And we watch ministries and churches and denominations and groups die off when the guy who started it moves on. Now, I want to say their hearts are not wrong. They just haven't been intentional about pointing to the one who doesn't move on when the leader of that thing moves on, Jesus Christ. Are you with me, friends? So we have to base our marriages, our ministries, our lives. This nation, we've heard it, doesn't need a good church, another great church. It needs Christ. We are global. We go around the world. We preach, and there are unreached people groups. And while we believe in church planning, and we'll talk a little around that, can I tell you they're not looking for a good church. The Middle East right now are not looking for a good church. They are looking for the one who can save the Lord of all, the darling of heaven. And as we go to the nations, and we do, and I personally go to many nations, and we do preach the gospel in regions that have never heard the gospel. Here's the thing. They're not wanting to say, tell us about the church. They're like, tell us about the one who can save us. And so Jesus Christ must be the focus of it all. In Colossians chapter 1, in verse 6, Paul writes, And he says this, in the same way, I'm just going to pick up in verse 6. In the same way, the gospel, 
the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. Now, it happened then, and I, I'm going to tell you this, not by theory, in reality, this gospel is still bearing fruit all over the world, throughout the whole world. And while Russ got up here and said there's still a bunch of nations that have it, this gospel is bearing fruit all over the world. As it did then, it still is today. And I say that, friends, because we're an apostolic people, and we're a people of neighbors and nations, of going to places and ministering in the place where we live. But within it all, even in the down times and the times perhaps we're not seeing what we're trusting for, we know this, this gospel is still saving people all over this planet, including in this nation of the United States of America. It is incredible to hear. I am privileged in my position to hear, and I get a lot of the bad stuff too, but I get to hear what God's doing globally. There's not a day, and I can say almost daily, mostly daily, I get texts, emails, even while I'm preaching, it's very hard because you've got this mobile, uh, 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 Apple f- uh, watch and, and it rings. It was ringing just then from South Africa. I just saw I got a call from there. It's, it's, emails come up and people think I'm looking at my watch. I'm not. I'm looking at what God's been saying to people. And it's, it's challenging because you're trying to concentrate. But I get emails. I get texts of people all over the world. This thing doesn't sleep, friends. Our people go to sleep, but this gospel is bearing fruit globally, and that which we know of, we celebrate in. And here's the good thing is you're part of it, you're in it, we're with it. But the thing I want to say to you this morning is this gospel is still good enough. I've been challenged, and I'm sure like you, when we hear guys like Jody stand up and give these wonderful testimonies and challenging to us, come on, friends, we've got to go tell people about But here's what I want to say. This gospel doesn't need to be tweaked and adjusted and changed to be more relevant. Can I say that contextualization should not become the obsession where we are trying to make the gospel relevant. I believe contextualization should be where we are showing the relevance of the gospel. Not trying to make it relevant, showing that it's relevant. And it's not play on words here. It's fact. Right now, this year, I was, had the privilege of ministering in, in, in Paris, in, in, uh, in uh, France. I mean, Craig was with me. You know that this gospel is saving the Frenchies. And let me tell you, if you're French, forgive me, but there's some huge saving needed for some Frenchies. But this gospel, saving people under literally the Eiffel Tower, I saw it with my own eyes this, this year. Then we went into Holland, which forgive me if you're Dutch, I'm getting into trouble because I'm hitting every nation here. But if you're Dutch, you need some saving. And let me tell you, this gospel humbled. He was with me. I preached in a, in a, in a city celebration in the city and I mean, people humble their knee to Christ. Big Dutchmen, big, big Dutchmen on their knees responding. Why? Not could I preach this gospel's bearing fruit. I was in Africa. I've been in Australia. I mean, friends, I've been to these regions this year. Under the tree in Africa, people are bowing their head to the, their knee to this gospel. There is no nation where, nobody, where, where this nation, where this gospel doesn't work. 
And we often love to do the traveling thing to preach the gospel. But in our nation, this gospel is bearing fruit, and it's good enough. And while we are trying to be more contextualized, more effective culturally, let me just remind you, this gospel is good enough for the Americans today. It doesn't need our clever tweaking and changing to make it more relevant. It is as relevant today as the day it was first preached. And we, I think, have slipped into some distortions in America when it comes to the gospel. We, we have this cultural gospel. Can, can, I, can I be strong and just step on a toe or two this morning? And you don't have to like what I say, but just hear what I say, please. Let's skip the postmodern sales job. And let's get to the, the absolute issues of the heart because the same issues of the heart are global. Those who are separated from God all have the same heart issues. And I'm not saying we shouldn't try and reach out in different ways. I'm not against that because Jesus clearly used circumstances, situations that identified with the people. I, I get all that. But I am concerned that we're making it too culturally relevant, that we've lost the power of this gospel. And very soon we won't be able to say this gospel is bearing fruit in our ministries because we're not preaching the true gospel. Yeah, I think understanding the culture is less important than knowing what the Bible says about every human heart that is separated from God. What about the cool gospel? I'm all to try and be cool. But let me just tell you about Jesus. When we market Jesus, it's cheap and powerless. Jesus transcends all fashion trends. And I have addressed people with beards, and the reason being is because I, if I was to grow a beard, it is so gray, I won't grow one. My wife doesn't like it either, so don't. But I mean, I love the, the, the trends, and I love the fashions, and I'm not anti those things, but we can never. Here's what, here's what I want to remind us. We are not trying to get Jesus like us. We are actually trying to be more like Jesus. And so as this cool gospel, and I'm all about trying to use, reach the youth and all that, but friends, it's a distortion when we begin to make it all cool. It really is. Now let's be relevant, but not try and make Jesus cool. He's not cool. He's God. I think another distortion just in this is we've become a little careless in the presentation of the gospel. And, and I love how Jody addressed this thing of issues and heart and how we deal with, with, with sinners alike. But friends, can I also just say, you can't expect your body to, op to operate without your organs there. You can't expect your car to operate without all the parts. How can we expect the gospel to bear fruit if we're leaving out the main parts of the gospel? And, and it's not a bad thing to preach on repentance because repentance is key when it comes to the reality of this gospel. It's become a bad word when it's the delight I get to turn from and turn to. So when we're leaving out the repentance, I'm just saying, I don't believe it. There's a distortion there. There comes a play. What must we do to be saved? Repent. That was the message given in the revelation of the first message that was preached. Repent. 
And I think it's a good word. And I've loved repenting because in my opinion, it gives us grace and mercy. And it's the Holy Spirit and His power that gives us the ability to turn from. Because there's no salvation if you're still doing what you were. New creation. You there? Can't say you knew if nothing changes. So don't be careless in our gospel presentation. Can you imagine the ramifications? I think about that often, the stuff I've preached globally, and I'm wondering, and again, I'm not questioning my heart, and, but am I truly presenting the gospel? Are those people that responded truly going to stay the course, and will I see them in heaven? Because there are ramifications to the distortions of the gospel. What about the carnal gospel? What Jesus can do for me. Health, wealth, always happy, never hurting. See, I'm realizing more that Jesus will change what you want more than change what you have. It's not what you want. He changes what you, uh, he changes what you want, not changes what you have. And I, I just got to say the selfish gospel that many are promising things that Jesus never promised. Let, let me just be honest. It's a lie. It's a lie. Jesus didn't promise that, and how can I promise that? I, I want a whole lot more, but I've got to stick to what he said and what he's about because the gospel of me before Jesus is not the gospel at all. All right, let's move on from that. So verse, just go to verse 9. Paul carries on writing. He says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continue to ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Again, I don't want to be cliche this morning, but I listen again and again to people and pastors and leaders. And this is what we often say is the will of God. What's the will of God for my life? What's the will of God for my life? And and friends, I know that the, the question's a good question, but it's the wrong question. And we know people who are spending their lives looking for the will of God for their life. And what we actually should be asking is, what is the will of God? And how does my life, my church, my family, my ministry fit into what God's doing? Rather than, God, I want to squeeze you into what I'm about. Yeah, the church planters here. There are people who are responding to the planting and say, yes, Lord, we hear you. But it's not, Lord, I'm going to go do my thing. And by the way, would you bless it? It's, Lord, how does my life, my relocation, we going? Those of you who are privileged to lead churches should be asking, how does our church fit into the will of God? And Paul prays that. And he says that the Holy Spirit will give us wisdom and understanding till we know the will of God. And we've heard some of it this week. And some of us, I'm sure, have been challenged because it's not kind of where we want to go. But if it's God, that's good, right? That's what we're about. So can I say to you again, in our revelation of Christ, in the Holy Spirit's utterance and Paul prayed, is that the Lord would give us the spirit of understanding of the will of God. Don't just pray, not my will, but yours be done. But actually ask, what is your will? And friends, you don't need a prophet or a preacher to tell you the will of God. You just need to have a Bible, and you will find the will of God. And in it, we should be saying, and that can help us in our seasons. Can I, we don't talk enough on transition. We don't talk enough on when the season of that call is over. So we hang in there too late, and we kill the church and kill the people. Or we just handball it because we're facing circumstances that are difficult. So it must be my season's over. And we, we should be working through seasons if we're walking in the will of God. 
I mean, it wasn't easy. People ask me, well, gee, you must be so relieved not leading a church. Not so much. We love the church. I mean, if I could, if I could choose, I probably would say, somebody else can lead NCMI. I'm going for the local church because I love the local church. But God's will is what is the purpose? What is the season? What have you done? What am I doing? Now what's the next purpose? And it's not what's your will for my life. What's your will? And now this next season, how do I keep walking in the will of God? It helps us in our marriage and our parenting and in our releasing and college and sending my kids to college because everyone does it. Not so much. What does God want? How do their lives fit in His will? Not what's your next 20-year plan for their lives. Are you there, friends? It just changes. If you've got your plan, then God doesn't have one for you. But if we said the will of God, what is the will of God? What does the Bible say? Then how does my life fit into that? How does my ministry, how does my church? And I tell you what, we'll be far more effective as we go forward if we're doing what He wants us to do rather than doing our thing and hoping His blessing. Not what is your will for my life. What is your will? How do I fit into that, Lord? Verse 10, he goes on and he says, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. Friends, I know it's not performance driven and we've heard so much and I love what's been preached. It liberates us. Truth sets free. You shall know the truth. Let me tell you, knowing the truth, Jesus is truth. I believe it's in knowing Him, you're knowing the truth. So I'm all for this thing of not adding to and taking on. But let me just remind you this morning that this kingdom of heaven, this kingdom of God is about faithfulness even in the new covenant under grace. He didn't nullify that there's no longer a need for faithfulness now that Jesus has come. In actual fact, Jesus preached more on faithfulness when he talked about the kingdom than any other truth, knowing he was going to the cross, knowing he was paying for it all, and knowing that we would walk in power and fulfillment, but still looking for faithfulness. And there's not a person, I believe, in this room who's not trusting God for more. That's why you're here. But can I ask you this? Not can you earn it. Can God trust us with more? And not because of your ministry, because of your life. Living a life worthy of the Lord. Not worthy of your ministry. Not having a ministry worthy of my Lord. Having your life worthy. Are you there, friends? Uh, You might think this is too serious. No, no, this is... I just said to the team earlier as we were praying, I said, you know what, I, I, I'm like Russ. I think it was Russ. My name is Jimmy or whoever. Steve, my name is Jimmy. Give me all. I want all that he'll give me. I'll take any name as long as I'm getting more, right? And you say, well, that's ambition. Yes, yeah, called godly ambition. It's in the Bible. When, Paul, when David was going to kill Goliath, he said, what will be given? Not all this is a God thing if I take him out. He said, what will be given to the one who takes him out? Why? Because it's good to ask. There are some rewards. That's what keeps us going. Don't tell me it's me and Jesus. There are rewards for those who are faithful. It is, and it's not selfish ambition. We need some godly ambition back in the church, friend. We need men and women to step in and and have some godly ambition. We want to get things done for the Lord. And so I'm trusting and I'm asking. And I used to read some of those parables, honestly, of, of where the, the, the parable of the miners, the, the, the faithfulness. You know that story? And the one with the treasures. And he'd been faithful. Matthew, I think 25 or what. He's faithful with this. And so he gets more of that. But there's one where he asked for, for um, 
he calls them together and he gives them their, their minds and he leaves and he comes back and he gives them not more of what he gave them. He said, you can, you've blessed, are you, you're faithful and I'm going to give you 10 cities. And I, I, re, I remember reading through those in the early, and I, in my heart I was, Lord, Lord, Lord I want to be trusted with 10 cities. I want 10 cities. Well, how many of you want 10 cities? Now I know all the headaches that come with it, but hey, I mean, not you're going to own them, you're going to be trusted with cities. So I would look at those scriptures and say, Lord, I, I long to be trusted. You can trust me with 10 cities. And, and by the grace of God, not because of me or anything else, we in this, our togetherness have been entrusted without exaggeration with tens of thousands of cities around the world. That's no exaggeration. That's fact. And, and I am, again, privileged to lead this with my friends in this. And God's entrusted us with thousands of cities, friends. Now, here's what I'm excited about is there's more cities to come. But here's what I'm asking us. Can God trust us? Because it's not me. It's not just this team. It's us who we've been put together. Can God trust us? Well, how do I know? Am I being faithful with what I already have? Am I being faithful in the life that I've been given? Because my ministry follows my life. Too many have made it, there's my ministry, there's my life. Paul writes, and he says that we live a life worthy of the Lord, not have a ministry worthy of the Lord. And so, you know, there's all these grandiose promises that we go back with, but there's also this faithfulness in your own life. And nobody can help you in that except you. So I'm asking us, are you willing? Are you able? Are we saying, yes, Lord, we trust you for more in this next season? Bearing fruit in every good work, being fruitful, growing in the knowledge of God, being filled, being strengthened with all power, verse 11, according to His glorious might, so that he may have, we may have great endurance and patience. Verse 12, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the holy people in the kingdom of light. We are an incredibly favored people. I read that and I say I'm favored, not by the car I drive, the house I have, the building I have. Those things are not the favor. We are favored because we get to share in the inheritance of God. And we are qualified by Christ and Christ alone. You are highly favored in this room, friend. Regardless of what you have, you're favored because you're qualified to share in this inheritance. And verse 13, for he has rescued us. I love that. Steve uh, spoke on that. For we've been rescued from the dominion of darkness. And he's brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. That speaks about freedom, friends. We've been rescued. I, I just want to just say again, I don't believe we preach enough on the breaking of the dominion of power of darkness over people's lives. And I'm not saying get in helicopters and start declaring and declaring. And I, I, I'm saying this, that Jesus, when he died and was raised from the dead... All sin, past, present, and future has been forgiven. Now that's radical. How many of you love that? He forgives us of all sin. How many of you feel, gee, that's radical? But I think there's even something more radical there. Not only am I forgiven, he's broken the power of sin. I don't hear enough preached on that, to be honest. So we're forgiven, but we're still living in sin. How about he broke the power of darkness over our lives. When Jesus rose from the dead, we, we don't have to sin anymore. Friends. It's not put on. It's living in what Ron was preaching. It's not put it on, but live in it. 
If we've been rescued from the power of darkness, then why do we still live in the power of darkness? <laughs> we are forgiven in whom we have redemption, it says, the forgiveness of sin. Verse 15, the Son is the image of the invisible God and the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. I tell you, read that, you know it has to be about Him. If I don't understand all this, all I know is it's about Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that He might have supremacy in everything. In all things, Jesus will have first place. All things. Now, it's great to read that. It's great to preach that. It's another thing to live in that. But let me tell you, he has been given right to be first in everything. And it's an incredible way to lead God's people and to live this life knowing he is in control. It's all centered around him. It's all because of him. He's worthy of our praise. He is supreme. Let him stay supreme in what we're doing. Let's work hard at making him in his place be who he's called so we can see the church thrive in the season in what God has. And we've heard already this week that it's about impact and increase and influence. That's the season we're in. As things are getting worse, as we said, as the world gets worse, the church needs to get better. God is increasing us. God is giving us greater influence. He is, friends. That's what He spoke this week. Greater impact has to come. More salvations. I love what Jody preached again last night. Stood to one-on-one evangelism. But I, I wanted to grab the microphone after him and say, friends, I feel God saying, you better ready your church for the harvest, not just for the one. And I'm not, individuals are very important. But if this is end times, what I do read in Scripture, there'll be a pouring of the Spirit and there will be a harvest like never before. So if Jesus is coming back, again, I believe he is soon then there must be an end time harvest that is going to flood the church. So while we get a heart for individuals and stick to that heart and we use every opportunity to share the gospel, you who lead churches, can I tell you this? Prepare for the lost to come flooding and they are going to be offensive when they come flooding in the local church. It's easier to take it outside, I think, of the walls than to actually embrace the people God wants to send. I do believe God's bringing people in. Harvest time, harvest time. Like Jody said, losing a son. Can you imagine losing a child? He's got thousands, millions who are going to come flooding because he has a purpose. And it's the church that is the solution. Are you ready for that? Or do they have to come in cookie cut, look like you, sound like you, dress like you, before you will actually welcome them? Then here's the deal. You might have the ones and twos outside, but God will find another people to send the lots, the numbers, the multitudes. And in NCMI, we are trusting for multitudes to come home in this season. But it means adjusting hearts and be willing to embrace everyone. So as we're going from this place, I want to just highlight a few, if I can, and some of it's just reiterate what's been said. I want to just tell you this as we go. Remember, you're going to have to continue to take huge steps of faith. 
as you and I continue to fulfill the dream God has called us to. We have to continue, friends. It's not like we had a moment here. we got to go back and continue to take huge steps of faith, trusting what God wants to do, not what we can do or what we have done. There will always be doubters as we present what God has spoken. Church planters, people will doubt. It doesn't matter as long as you've heard God and you do what God's told you to. Doubters will come and doubters will go. Don't you doubt what God has said, what He has spoken. We need to look upwards for revelation, inwards for motivation, backwards for affirmation. Friends, I want to tell you, as I look behind, I see God has done things in hindsight, if only we knew. But it should stir us to believe for what's still to come and outward for expectation. God wants to do some outward things, not just inward, outward displaying of His splendor. There will always be doubters. Can, can I say, please hear this? You will always feel significant financial pressure. It's, to be honest, my conversations most this week have been hearing from great leaders who are financially struggling in their church. And I don't know if you're struggling financially. I just think you're overwhelmed. And I'll tell you why you're overwhelmed, because you're doing something that's impossible. And even if you had, and this is not, just think, even if you had a billion dollars in the bank, you wouldn't have enough to fulfill what God has. Now, now this isn't cliche, and I've lived this, and living this, all right? I lead an international team. You've got to understand, money is a big deal, all right? This thing doesn't just happen. Everything costs money. To get on an airplane costs a lot of money, all right? To travel the world costs big bucks. To feed my family costs money. I'm just telling you, it's not for you. I led a church too. I've led a couple of churches. I get the money thing, but here's what I believe. If we are doing what God's called us to do, if we're doing what God has called us to do, if, are you getting this? If we're doing what God's called us to do, we will always, listen, always till Jesus comes back, always feel significant financial pressure. Because if you have the money, you don't need God. If you have the givers, you don't need God. If you have a bank that decides what you're called to do, you're not going to do what God's called you to do. Are you there, friend? And I'm living in reality, but there's there's been a, a sense of this week where God has lifted our heads and said, would you trust me rather than what you have? Friends, if we go back and just get on with things, yes, we stay the course, but begin to trust for greater and God is your provider. You, I'm not saying this cliche. Your biggest giver in your church is God. Not the biggest giver. God ain't leaving if you're doing what God's called you to do. He's your biggest giver. He is. He's the source of it all, friends. So even us, America, what we're facing this region, this nation, financial turmoil and fear and Britain's just exit and now what's happening. And I, but God says, my plan. Are you going to trust them? He doesn't say this great commission doesn't happen when you got money, right? I mean, I look at the disciples. They clearly didn't have a lot. I mean, silver and gold we don't have, really. Are they liars? But God provides. I think we're going to have to be way more passionate about what we're for in this season rather than what we're against. 
We're going to have to keep choosing. Listen, friends, whether we're going to please insiders or reach outsiders. And may I suggest you can't do both. But if you are pleasing God, then both can be reached. We're going to be constantly, as we have been, tempted to copy the success we see in the church world rather than believe the vision God's given you. This nation is such a blessed nation, and there's so many gifts. I'm telling you, friends, I, uh, let, me, let me just let you in a secret. I'm not going to get to my points, as you well know. So I honestly don't think I've ever finished a message in my whole life. 20, I mean that. I don't think I have. I, 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 I sometimes wish I never prepared. I waste my time. But your heart comes right. I know, I know. But, uh, you know, let, let me tell you, I, I see things going to happen in this nation. I'm not a prophet, but here's the way. God brought us to this nation. And let me tell you, God didn't bring us to America for leftovers. Okay, I choose to believe that he loves me enough not to bring me, now that he's left America, come do your thing. Come back to America, your homeland, where you met your wife and you have children, and this is your country you've chosen under God to live. And I love this nation. He didn't say, come now that I've left. He said, come in the sweet spot of what I wanted to do in this nation, through this nation, from this nation, in this nation. And so we have come here. And as I've traveled this nation, let me tell you, this is an overwhelming nation of gifted people. You know, some of the well-known, I travel the world, some of the, and I've lived overseas, some of the most well-known preachers that are known around the world aren't even from America, aren't even known in America. Do you know that? Some of the guys, people ask me, like I ask Americans, have you heard of this guy? That if I say his name, you would say, of course I know him, but most of these guys around you, never heard of him. Why? Because they know people that are doing those things without the name. And so as I began to, I mean, I lived in Australia, and there's like all these names, and everyone knows them, and in South Africa, everyone knows them, and everyone knows these names from America, but in America, very few churches know those names. And so I realized that in every city, every nation, every place, every city, state, there are guys doing exactly what we do, or have a heart to do this, and they have resources, and they have people, but they don't actually have a heart or understanding or revelation of how to activate this. But they're the most gifted people on the planet. But they're not looking for fame and name. They're just looking to get on with the job. And so I, I felt like God challenged us that we're going to come alongside men and women who have the same heart, same vision, maybe done differently and not trying to join rank, but we're going to work together because this nation's not going to be reached by one group, one gathering, one network, one denomination. It's going to be those like-minded people who are gifted, who will come alongside. Here's my resources, here are my facilities, not for your brand and not for NCMI, for the king and the kingdom. Let's get the job done. I believe that. This nation's too big to reach by one grouping. And in that, we will send more people to the rest of the world that this gospel will be heard in every nation. But we have to stay true to who God's called us to be. And there is a challenge for every pastor in this room and even me as the team leader. Here's the deal. We should be more Hillsongy. And I love the Hillsong songs and we will sing them. We should be Bethel. Can I just tell you, you're not Bethel. And Bethel's in the Bible, not in Reading. Now I'm stepping on toes in some of you, but guess what? We finished and you are leaving anyway, so let me just go there. <laughs> Honestly, we are not Bethel. We are not. Uh, give me another name. I don't know. Just I don't want to offend who? It's someone else. <laughs> And if you're trying to, now we want to learn from everyone. Would you agree? I mean, if we don't want to learn, then what are we doing here? 
And if we think we got it all, I've just told you we haven't. But what I do know is this. When you become someone else, you're dishonoring to God. When we're trying to be what we're not, you are ceasing that moment, listen, to be authentic. And one of the things I love about what we're a part of, and I say this again and again, I travel into the churches that are in partnership with NTMI, and I've yet to see a church the same, in the same city. There is no organization that has to be the same, and you dress like me and preach what I preach. If you don't love Jesus, then we have a problem. Other than that, let's get on with this job together. You don't have to do the things we do, sing the same song. There's freedom to express who God's called you to be. And let me tell you, Pastor, this morning, if you're not who God's called you to be, you're a fake. And God wants you to stop being a fake today and get back to being authentic. Doing what He called you to do, the way He calls you to do it, in partnership with us, that's not being fake. And that's attractive to everyone else. And you're free to be you. Are you offended because I called you a fake? Well, not you, them out there, right? None of you. No, are you there, man? Friends, there's such pressure on us, on me. We should be more like this, and you should be more like this guy. And I'm, dude, serious? I mean, I respect those gifts and honor what God's doing, but that's not us. And we're not trying to be different. We're just trying to be us. And we will have them in and preach, but we're not trying to run a Bethel conference or a Reading conference or Jesus Culture or Hillsong or Benny Hinn or Kenneth Copeland or... I'm just going to name all you, and Dudley Daniel, we, we us, I'm me, don't like my skinny jeans, I'm sorry, I don't like your beards and man buns and woman buns and everything else, it's who we are, but be you, be free to be you, and we're giving shaves and haircuts after this meeting, for those who want to, I'm only joking, all right, are you with me, listen friends, listen please, pastors, there are general words for everyone. And then there are specific words for you. And we have to learn to discern what's general and what's specific. And if you have forgotten the specifics, then you are in danger of becoming fake. I spend a lot of time going back to what God said over us. And I want to learn from every guy. And there's not a guy I won't meet with. You know these guys. I meet with all these guys. I fly all over the world. I meet with every other guy who's leading. And it's amazing how they all sit with me and say, we are exactly like you. And I'm like, that's great. So tell me how you operate. And when I begin to hear they operate, I'm shocked. Is that how they think we are? You know, they, they just, they just, none of us get paid to do this here today. We know we're not offerings. Many of you, most of you got in here for free. I know some of you paid and we're grateful because we're paying for this, not me. And if you don't pay, I'm paying for this. So I think, anyway, don't get, we're not taking our offering, but there's no offering. And I'm not anti-offerings. I'm just telling you, you're allowed to talk to us in the meetings. After the meetings, we don't escort our way out of here. But I listen to these guys say, are we like you? And I say, well, tell me how you operate. Have you ever been to a church that works with you? Never. This is the leader of it. Tells me he's never been to a church they work with. Never preached there. He goes, what about you? I say, yeah, I do. He says, well, do you go to your big church? I know, I go to any church that invites me that I can get to. Then he's like, oh, we are a little different. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I say, well, if they, they say, well, if they're part of our thing, they have to pay a certain percentage. I say, okay, and what do they get for that? They say, well, they get the name, the brand. So, and then do they get you? No. Do they get any of your guys? No. And then do they come to a conference? Yeah, they come, and they pay 500 bucks to be there for the week. And every day we take up an offering. Now, now, friends, if you want to do that, 
great. But we're not doing that because we are authentic, real. We want to build relationally and in reality. And I like to go that way because it's a lot easier to send you my DVD than come to your church. I want to tell you, it's far more financially benefit. But I'm not mocking that stuff. It's not us. And if that's America, America's looking for authentic as well. And we want to just be real. And everyone in this room, most of you are part of our thing, so I'm not having to go and tell it. I'm just telling you, we're not that. We'll never be that. And there's been pressure on us to be more like that, to reach more Americans. We can't sell out. Because then we are fakes. I can't see God honoring fakes. They're not fake. They're authentic to them. We're authentic to us. And pastors, please don't buy into everyone what they're doing in your city. Do what God's called you to do. Put aside the books for a season. Get before the Lord in your Bible and let God speak over you what He's called you to. And don't come to these times and begin to compare and compete. And so how many people have you got? I've yet to be asked. I've never to this day been asked, even after I've preached this, how much impact is NCMI having? Or how much impact is your church having? It's always been how big is your church? And I know what they're saying. How many butts are in the building on a Sunday morning? And it's very difficult to gauge that, if you're honest. And so there's this competitiveness that comes in. Friends, we want to grow. We want to be effective. But you've got to live according to who God's called you to be. Be free. When you leave here, be free to be who God has called you to be. I'm going to have to continue to see God in these next days in ways we've never seen him before. I feel like he's going to show us things and do things that maybe others aren't going to get to if they're not stepping out in faith and trusting. We're going to see God in ways that others maybe never get to see. It's not because we're better. It's because we're trusting for God to reveal fresh things, new things, taking us into our next season. So in this season, let's give ourselves to pursuing Jesus. You say, oh, Tyron, here we go. Yeah, here we go. Not pursue the call, pursue Christ. Uh, it's not cliche, guys. Missions is not primarily, primarily going somewhere. It's following someone. Now, now, there are times that I'm under pressure, and I've said this, where people tell Tyron, that's enough, Jesus. Let's move to the next thing. And Here's, here's what I want to say. There have been times where I thought, you, you're right. It's time to move on. And then God wonderfully, I believe it's God, not the devil. God takes me back to Scripture. And then I begin to read something of Acts 18 and 19. And friends, I mean, that's an Ephesus church plant. For me, we try to model our churches around the Ephesus plant. You know the story. Paul goes into Ephesus and he lays foundation and he plants his church. Two and a half, three years he's there. And he, you know what it says of that, of the, not the church, of the city. The name of the Lord was held in high honor. I mean, I, I don't just want my church to love Jesus. I want the name of the Lord to be held in high honor in my city. Wouldn't you want that for your city? And that's what happened. It says in the Bible, the name of the Lord was, I mean, you're talking, that's revival. People were burning their businesses, their demonic stuff, and coming, I mean, shutting down businesses. That's revival. Not having a moment of the Holy Spirit touching you in your meeting, calling that revival. And what happens? 30 to 50 years later, 
Book of Revelation, Jesus is addressing the, the seven churches. And he says this of Ephesus, where the name of the Lord was held in high. And 20, 30, maybe 50 at most years later, from a church founded on the foundation of Christ, planted by a man who was obsessed with Jesus. For me to live is Christ and to, pray, to die is gain. I resolve to preach nothing but Christ crucified. I want to know Christ. Christ, Christ. How many of you believe Paul loved Christ? That's why the church was founded with such great truth. 30 to 50 years later. You do this well, you do this well, you do this well. But I have one thing against you, the worst of all. You forgot about me. 30 to 50 years later. If they can look at Ephesus today, which is now modern-day Turkey, God help that nation, that city. It's gone. Now, friends, I'm just saying, if that can happen there, I'm just saying, it can happen. To any one of us. It ha can happen to NCMI. We've been just celebrated 35 years. We're in that zone. I'm not living in fear. I'm just aware. We've got to pursue Christ. We've got to contend for Christ. We better make sure Christ is the center of it all. We better default not from Christ to Christ. Because if you don't pursue Christ, you're going to lose it all. As we go from here, pursue Christ. Give ourselves in this season to pursuing Christ at every level. Paul said, I want to know Christ. It's a personal thing. I want to know. Not we. I can't do it for you and you can't do it. I want to know. It's personal. And can I just suggest as pastors, forgive me for being straight up again, but pastors, if you are running from place to place, if your people are running from place to place, conference to conference, we have become so discontented because we haven't found contentment in Christ. It's true. One of the re the proofs of being a Christ-focused pe people is we have learned to be content. Paul said in Philippians, I know what it's like to have, and I know what it's like to not have. To have plenty and to be in need. He says that. But in both, I've learned to be content. How can you be content with nothing? Because of my, 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 my faith is in someone, not something. Let me ask you this morning, where do you get your tank full? Does Christ still take your breath away? Because if he doesn't, you need people. You need things, you need buildings, you need recognition, you need ministry. And our sheep needs are trying to be met by sheep rather than the shepherd. And that's a dangerous leader into our future who's looking to people to meet their needs rather than to Christ. Paul, if Paul can say, I've learned to be content with nothing and something, then I want to say his secret was not his great revelation of who he was. It was about Christ. It's not we want to know Christ. It's I want to know Christ. It's personal. And the power of his resurrection. It's powerful, friends. We need that power and understand. And we sing and we talk. I mean, at Easter and Christmas, we talk a lot about death and resurrection. My goodness. Oh, I, I, let me just step on, not Christian toes, just you who don't love the Broncos. We won the Super Bowl, and I haven't heard a lot about that this week. Just wanted to know if we were meeting in your region and you won the Super Bowl, we would have heard all about it. But let me just tell you, we won the Super Bowl. Welcome to Broncos Nation. We're glad to be the champions of the world, even though we only played here. Now let me just say this. It's so easy to forget we won that. Until we remind it, because it means absolutely nothing. I mean, sorry, but 
I'm about to get shot, and many of you are carrying guns, I know that. So, but the thing is, it means absolutely nothing, and we're already talking about who's going to win next year and all those things. But there are times that there's signs, and I travel and I forget, and then I come back, and well, I come back to Denver, and you hear on the thing, Super Bowl champions, oh yeah, that's true. And then I see someone wearing orange, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's right, we won the Super Bowl. There's, there's signs now and then. But you know, that's what happens when it comes to this resurrected life. We forget. And then we come to this, and we sang a song about He's alive. Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. But we don't live and lead like that. Friends, we've got to live in what He's done. He has done it. We don't need signs from time to time to remind us. You can't lead God's people being reminded by signs. You've got to live in that place. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection. And to share. Oh, you see this? To share in the suffering. My friends, there's pain. There's price, there's pain, there's power, it's personal. There is price. I mean, I, I lo- I've realized the more you preach about Jesus, the more people don't like you. It's true. We talk about He unites us, but He didn't come to unite. He actually said, don't think I've come to unite. I've come to divide straight down the middle. Father and son, mother and daughter. I mean, friends, he divides families. He divides. I live in another country away from my, most of my family, not because I chose to, because of Christ. He divided my family. This ain't easy following Jesus. And, and when you preach Christ, some people are really offended. I mean, we can have a conversation with anyone in America right now about God. That's cool. Because your higher power, our Allah, our, but mention Jesus and watch what happens. Watch. Conversation over, you're dead. Why? Because you are offending me with your Christ stuff. Why? Because Christ is the rock of offense. So when you begin to preach about the rock of offense and make everything focus around Christ, don't think people will all come running. The religious will go running away and the sinners will come running to authentic reality. Are you there, friend? I've realized there are people that have walked away from NCMI because of my obsession with Jesus. That guy is too obsessed with Jesus. Your leader, he loves Jesus too much. I'm moving on. Where's God and the Holy Spirit? They're happy with me loving Christ. There's not this competition in heaven, friends. God's like, what about me? What about me? And Jesus, like, no, no, it's me. And the Holy Spirit, whoa, whoa hang on. What about me? I, God the Father planned. Jesus the Son purchased, and the Holy Spirit as God uh, uh, personalizes all these things in our lives. But the Holy Spirit's role is to make much of Jesus, and God exalted Jesus to the highest place. And God gave Jesus the name above every other name. And God placed Jesus as supreme in all things. So let me tell you, God's pretty cool with you and I making much of Jesus. Pursue Jesus, my friends. Please, can I just again address the young people for a moment? Singles, if you're a follower of Christ, your dating life is boring. According to the world. You can't say you follow Christ and do your thing. If you're a follower of Christ, He affects every area of your life. There's not an area that He's not having access to if you're a follower of Jesus. 
Can I say, if you're a follower of Christ, please hear me. You cannot be a jerk to people if you're a follower of Jesus. He changes. Jody preached about loving the lost. You cannot love, you cannot not love the lost if you are following Christ. You have his heart. You love what he loves. Finances. Oh, here we go. Yeah. If you are not surrendered your wallet, you are not a follower of Jesus. Because your finances determine who you follow. And if you are a preacher and you lead a church and you preach on tithing and you don't tithe, you're a fake. Hypocrite. Stop. And if you don't believe in tithing because it's law, then you've missed the whole concept of the Bible because it's not law, it's pre-law. It's actually, if you believe God is your source, then you're going to give to Him what He said, prove to me I'm your source, my 10% comes to me. Oh, well, I put it in my top drawer. Because I don't want to trust the church. He didn't ask you to trust the church. He asked you to trust Him. And if you can't trust the leaders you're following, you're in the wrong church. And it's not up to you what they do with the money. It's up to you what you do with your money, giving it to them. They stand before God. And elders, you will stand before God for every cent that's been trusted to you. It's not your money. Be careful how you use God's money. It's true. So we've all been offended and used and abused, but it doesn't mean we shut off to the reality. God is your source. If you believe He's your source, you have no problem saying 10% is yours. In actual fact, you should say it all belongs to you and I get to steward 90%. Quickly, secondly, I'm trying to crash land. We've had a few of those this week, have we not? the privilege of leading this thing. I can say that. But <laughs> pursue Jesus. Secondly, and it's come through, guys. I just want to highlight again. We need to be proactive in this great commission. It's not a concept. This great commission, the first five books of the New Testament, and, and uh, Terry read those texts again, the great commission. Uh, um, Russ spoke about discipleship. That's the great commission. Go into all the world. Oh, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now go. Make disciples. And it's not only in the going, it's in where we're at too. But can I just say this? Because it has come through. It's where you are and in the nations of the world. Friends, if you're struggling to get a heart for the world, not for the people you live, where you live, the nations of the world, I want to challenge you as I do on a monthly basis. And I get before the scripture and in Revelation chapter 5, I begin to read that text again. And I'm telling you, you cannot not care about the world when you read that text. And in Revelation chapter 5, it's this amazing picture. And John's having these revelations and he sees, and in the hand of God, right hand of God, he holds the scrolls. And I read that and I think that, that represents, the scrolls represent the destiny of all people. And while all of us have choice, I get that, and God's given us choice, the fact that He's holding their destiny. You know, friends, those people that you've been trying to see saved, God holds their destiny in His hand. The scrolls represent the destiny of all people. And so there's this great picture. And let me just tell you that the aim of the gospel is not just to get people to heaven. It's to you unite people back with the one who loves his people. And, and, and I've, I've shared this before, but it's a great understanding. Luke chapter 20, Jesus was questioned about uh, paying taxes. I love that story. And the Romans came and they were they were trying to trick him and the, the Roman soldiers were standing there. So they were trying to trick Jesus. And they said, is it right for us to give to Caesar 
what belongs, should we pay taxes, in other words? And, and Jesus said, who's got a coin? They gave him a coin, and he said, who's, who's um, image is on this coin? And they said, Caesar's. And then he said, well, then give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Most of us stop there, but he goes on, he says, and give to God what belongs to God. Now, how do we know that they knew that, that, man, that it belonged to Caesar? Because of the image on the coin. Whose image are we all made in? The image of God. I believe God is on a mission to get what belongs to Him back to Him. All creation, all men and women were made in His image and He wants to see them right before Him. So you cannot not think God cares about the nations of the world. And so John is weeping because in his hand he held this and there's no one worthy. And then Jesus comes along, worthy. And, he, and, and the, 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 uh, the, the, the elders say, weep no more for Jesus. Jesus is the longing of the night. Friends, I'm not doing a good job on this, but I'm asking you please to go read that and get that back into your heart. We cannot neglect the nations in this season when they are calling out for Jesus. Let me tell you, as I read the Bible, I realize this. Heaven won't rest until this gospel is global. And I've realized as I read the book of Acts, and I think Russ made reference to it, that if we do not sow seed or scatter seed, listen, friend, God will scatter us. And that's what happened in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 8. The first eight verses, chapters, they all did the city thing so good, but they neglected beyond the city walls. So God allows persecution, and from there, the gospel goes out. If we, listen, I have to land. If you're a pastor here this morning thinking you can hold on to your people, God loves the nations enough that if you don't send them, He will split you. Because He's committed to the world. Heaven won't rest. If you won't scatter, He'll scatter us. I'm telling you, we've had some scattering. I don't want any more scattering. So for me, I'm like, your purpose, your plan, we will pursue you, Jesus, will be proactive in the Great Commission. It's not a cliche. I don't, I've yet to meet a leader in the whole world who is not about the Great Commission in heart, but in no reality. So he doesn't walk from here saying, yeah, we are about Are you actively involved? We go into the nations. We need to plant churches in the nations, friend, and in this nation, and take in your city, and using who you have, and then for the king and his kingdom. We've got to, in this season, be proactive in the Great Commission. Would you agree with that? Is it true in your life and in your church? Well, when we get bigger, when we have money, you're probably not going to get bigger and have money if you're not doing what God's called you to. Prayer and power, thirdly. I'm landing. You want to come down here? It means I'm landing. Can, 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 I have to say this. Prayer and power. Give yourselves to prayer and power. Let me offend some of you this morning. I'm sorry. I'm shocked how little the church is praying. I'm serious. Well, we pray at home. No, it's not good enough. You want to know why our nation's in a mess? Not because the devil's having his way. It's because the church isn't praying. It's true, friends. When I look at Scripture, there's a direct connection between prayer and power. It is. We talk about the book of Acts as this dream book. Do you know that we talk so much about what the apostles were walking in, but that we forget the church was earnestly praying while they were walking in power. 
And people are still saying to me, well, you know, our nation, our people are too busy to pray. That's literally, and so we might not say that, but we cancel those meetings because they're too busy. The first meeting that goes in our churches is prayer meetings. Too busy. You, you, we've lost the understanding. That's what the devil wants. Of course, don't pray. Don't need to pray. Or stay home and pray. Who's really staying home and praying? If you're at home, you're not praying. If you haven't set aside time together, are you there, friends? I'm not having a God. It's insane for me. And we wonder why there's a mess and we're not seeing the results and the power God promised. You can't earn it, but God's given us away. If you don't pray, you know what you're saying? You're not saying this, but you are. I don't need you, God. We can do this without you. And then we cry out in our meetings that we need Him. But outside of those meetings, we're not even looking to God. May God arrest our hearts this morning. We need to call the church to prayer. And we need to pray regularly as our individuals, and I think Matt shared it, and also as a church together. We've got to get back to praying, friends. I used to preach the most important meeting is our prayer meeting. And if we're going to can any meeting, let's rather can our big gathering because prayer is the engine room. But one more prayer. My dad used to teach us as growing up, lack of prayer, lack of power. Praise God, we've bought into the lie, and I'm asking you to get back to what God said, not what your culture said. If you're too busy, you should pray even if people don't show up. You should not let them. We are led by the bleating of the sheep when we can meetings because people don't show up. We do things because the Bible says, not because people show up. And we're actually telling them, you determine what we do as elders. And when I was leading this Redemption City, you asked these guys, we sat down and said, we had to actually work through biblically what is biblically required. Because we are doing all these meetings and people aren't showing up to everything. So should we can them? And I, I really nearly gave in to the culture saying people are just too busy. But we went back to Scripture and we did. We wrestled through this. What is biblical? What can we biblically expect of people? And let me tell you, right through the book of Acts and through Scripture, prayer is not an option. But we've made it an option that now we don't do it anymore. And there is a fresh sense. I mean, my wife is a gracious lady. She said to me, Tyron, I believe this week somewhere we need to talk about prayer. Not in reaction. This nation needs prayer like never before. And it's not because of an election. It's because this nation's in deep, as TK says, doo-doo. You know, you, know, you know what prayer is? Weakness leaning on omnipotence. And here's the thing. If you don't understand we're in a battle, then prayer becomes a law or a duty. But if you understand battle, prayer is a necessity. We better start understanding. Playground is not about this. It's about. There's a battleground. I don't have the privilege of leading a church anymore right now. But this I tell you, you who do, you've lost your way if you're not about praying. It's not guilt. God's challenging us. We've bought the lie too long. Make it work, friends. But it's not, let's have a meeting. Let's teach it. Let's preach it. Let's show it. And then out of it, let's begin to meet together. Don't just put it in place and expect people to show. We've got to teach a culture around us. But you've got to get that culture again for them to get that culture. And I know some of you are mad at me right now. I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm just telling you, we're in trouble. I've got to find a place to pray. And I, me and Nicole are not enough to just pray together. I've got to pray. I, I can't live in this nation or pray for this nation. 
Because it's a direct result, I believe, power. And I'm telling you, we need to walk in power this way. And I love what Steve preached. He brought sanity to an insane subject. But it's not enough to teach it. You have to go live in it. You've got to take seatbelts off and say, this season is power, a season of power. You know, one of the worst things we can do with power is pretend we don't have it. The church was birthed in power. And let me tell you, we don't need the Holy Spirit to come back again. We've got to stop preaching that nonsense. It's not in the scripture. I know the heart's good, but you don't need the Holy Spirit to come again. He has never left. We just need to recognize the Holy Spirit, who He is, and how the early church walked in power. And my friends, we need to make space. A.W. Tozer said, if God was to remove the Holy Spirit from the church today, most of the church would carry on and not know the difference. However, he went on and said, but if God was to remove the Holy Spirit from the early church, everything would change and everybody would know the difference. The Holy Spirit is not an optional extra. We tag on when we need something to happen. He's God. I know you know this, but we don't use the Holy Spirit. He uses us. He's God. You know that, right? 2 Corinthians 3.17, I think it is. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit is, there is liberty. That's not true because the Spirit is everywhere, but not everyone's free. Why? Because now the Lord is the Spirit. It actually says, and where the Spirit is Lord, there is liberty. The Holy Spirit is not a blessing from God. He is God. And God wants His church back. And He wants His people back. And you cannot pretend you haven't got power because you have. Use it for the glory of God to advance the kingdom to make much of Jesus. You there, friends? Pray, power. Our relationships. Can I just land with this one? Because we've talked about loving the lost. I want to tell you, you better love the church. You've got to love each other. You know, we are so relational, and, and, and I love that because God made it, and the gospel is relational. But I watch how this relational issue becomes the dividing factor because it's such a highlight in our togetherness. And I want to challenge you and I in this next season to contend not just for your relationship with sinners, contend for your relationship with each other, with pastors and leaders. And people in this room. I want to tell you, friends, you're not alone. And when you, the devil's strategy is this. When you're struggling in your region on your own in your church, pull away and work it out. And when you're strong again, come back. That's insane. Why have a partnership if you don't lean on it when you need it? Or, well, you know, I'm offended. I heard you said this about me. Well, how about phoning me and asking me if I said that? How about giving me the benefit of the doubt, which I do for everyone in this room? I choose never to listen to the rubbish. And it is rampant through social media. I want to just tell you, let's not believe those lies anymore. It's insane to think we won't have issues. That's not what the Bible says. It says we deal with our issues. And it's actually a sign of maturity. You're immature if you don't deal with relational issues in the church. It's how you deal with it. And it's not about justifying ourselves. It's about reconciling. I don't have to prove. You know, when, when the issues are mostly right and you Mostly wrong, I'm just telling you. But I don't have to prove. Sorry, I'm just, it's true, but it's. But I don't have to go and prove you wrong. I'm coming to, with a humble heart to say, how do we reconcile here? What's the deal? What's going on here? Why? Because more than a friend, this is hindering the progress of the gospel. 
It's bigger than us. So if we just get over ourselves. And I, 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 I promise you I'm landing. Here we are. <laughs> I mean, I did say we bring like all the meetings together. We're going till 1.30, I think we said. No, no, relax. Do you know, we forget it in Scripture. When Paul would write under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit a letter, he'd write it to the church. We somehow think that the elders would sit together and discuss it and talk about it and then say, okay, this is what he said to go and tell this guy. So let's go sidle up to him and say, hey, Paul's saying stop being a jerk now and start working things out. Do you know what happened in those days? They would get the church together, they would stand up, and then Paul would open the letter and say, to the elders and the saints and deacons, and then he'd begin to have greetings in the name of Christ Jesus and all this stuff. And then he'd say, and tell this dude to stop messing around. He's hindering the gospel. And that dude sitting in this room. Then he'd say, well, let's leave that out because that's going to offend him. It's like Paul, under the inspiration, saying, stop hindering the gospel. And right here in this room right now, the inspiration I trust by the Holy Spirit, not in my flesh, I believe God's calling some of us out to stop hindering the gospel by purely being a jerk to others, by carrying offenses that you need to get rid of. And when they come up, you deal with them. And if you're offended now, you're going to keep being offended. It's part of the strategy of the enemy, and we've got to live in reality and keep all hearts pure because I do not want to be part of something that is hindering the gospel and the progress of the gospel. We've got to stay committed. My dad used to preach on, on covenantal relationships. It's, we have at times slipped into contracts. And I do the first question, if I partner with NCMI, what are you going to do for me? Nothing. There's a whole lot that you we will, but I'm not starting there. Seriously. If we do this, what are we going to get? Zip. Should come in and say, how's this? Covenantal is this. It's not if you do this, I'll do this. It's we do this together for the king. We are committed together. I'm committed. And let me just tell you, pastors, it's not your job to sort out the issues of the people in your church or even on your team. If Steve has an issue with TK, they don't come to me as the leader and say, would you sit with Steve and TK get it sorted out for the gospel. Don't bring me into your issues when I'm trying to hear God for the world. You there? If TK has an issue with me, my issue, let's work it out. So I watch pastors jump from one issue to another when it's got nothing to do with your pastors. And it's the devil's strategy because you've lost the revelation of the awesomeness of this task. That's why most people would get off the wall, but Nehemiah would not. Nehemiah said, why should I get off the wall? when I'm carrying out such a great task. And I've watched pastors get off the wall day after day. Why? Because they've lost the revelation of the great task. Your great task is not to bring peace to your church. Your great task is to take people to where God's called them to go, to hear God, to build the wall. And if guys want to come, I've done this now. You want to talk to me? Come talk to me while we're building the wall. You realize quickly who's about helping and who wants to hinder you. Because those of you who are going to hinder you are not going to help you. They won't come build. They'll just leave and find someone else. If you've got an issue, come together with me and let's deal with the issue while we're building the wall. Rather than I'm coming down to talk about your issues. I, we don't have time. Are you there, friends? Let's pray together. Let's stand. Can we stand together? Uh, I didn't get to it again.
Let's stand. Let me just read this over us as we go. I just wrote these things down last night when I was just thinking about leadership because one of the things for us I wanted to address was leadership. I think we need proactive leaders in this season, leading from the front, unapologetic. We really do need leadership in this season. It cannot blow an uncertain trumpet when there's so much uncertainty. We need leaders who will govern and guide and gather, lead, not to the bleeding of the sheep, but what God has called us to. Strong leadership, not control, strong. Leading from the front with open hands. Governing and leading. And I, I just wrote this, remember this, His love is our identity. Lead us. We preach that so much in the church, but we struggle to live in that ourselves. His love is your identity. Seek first the kingdom of God. You know, when you prioritize what God values, He backs you up. His kingdom. Let me say this, the praise of man is fickle. I've watched too many leaders derailed by the criticism of others. The praise of man is fickle. They love you, they hate you. doesn't matter. Don't be derailed in this season. Don't neglect your close friendships. If you haven't got friends, you need some. And Jesus is your friend, but you need more than Jesus. You do. It's a cop-out. I have a friend who says it's easier not to have friends. That's why he doesn't have friends. But he's my friend. And he keeps telling me, no, but Jesus is the only friend. He's insane. Now, I understand it's easier not to have friends, but I'm telling you, don't neglect your close friendships in this season. You need friends. Know where your effectiveness comes from. Laying a hold of your call, I think, means owning your potential and your limitations. You can't do it all. You haven't been called to. And if you have a family in this season, pastor your family. Pastor your family. Let's lift our hands. I do believe we're in for an incredible season. Tough, challenging, you bet. I don't know if we will ever have faced the challenges we're going to face. But I've heard this week in my heart, in my spirit, and through what's been preached. What a season for the church. We're not to do it in our own strength. We're to go be. Not go do, go be. So Father, as our hands are raised, in a sense of leaving this place, thank you you brought us together. Thank you, you put us together. Thank you, fashioning and forming who we are for your glory. We act different. We look different. We maybe even express church different. We can do that because we're free to be what you've called us to be. But there is someone who unites us. And when we move from seeing him, we see all the issues around us. Today in this room, as we go from here, we look to you, Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter and the pioneer, the finisher of our faith. As an example, it's you, Jesus. If we want to model our ministries, we want to model them around you. 
If we want to model, model our lives, we want to model them around you. We have a message. It's you, Jesus. And so would you grip our hearts again as we go. May we never graduate from you, Jesus. May we never move away. May you lead us. May you guide us. May you give courage. Our faith is in you. May this be the greatest season for the church in North America. I do pray harvest. Bring in the harvest. We pray relevance through truth of gospel. We pray we will not preach morals anymore. We will preach the gospel. We'll not talk about our churches. We'll talk about Jesus. And you will bring people to the churches. I ask for those pastors in this room who've done everything they can and are standing firm, that they will not be grinning and bearing it, that, it will, that they will go back knowing it's you who've called them, where people have spoken negative things and even perhaps have caused issues in the city by their negativity. I pray that you'll protect the hearts and the purity of the call. I pray that what man and church have put on them, you would take off them right here. I pray that the voices would be silenced in all of our ears. All of us who are doing anything, would we silence the voices around us by hearing the voice that matters most. Protect pastors and leaders. Protect marriages and families. Protect calls. Protect churches. Protect people. And may we walk in the bigness, the promise, the fulfillment of this season. We give you praise. We give you praise. We will follow you, Jesus. We will follow you, Jesus. We will follow you, Jesus.